The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I would want the more deeply committed you are to whatever tradition you practice, that that would make you more interested in other traditions. And not because I think they're really all like deep down, I don't. Not because I think, it's because if you are faith interested, think about the weird process of education that would say, the way you demonstrate your fealty, or your faithfulness to your tradition is by knowing less about others. As opposed to the greatest demonstration people can have of the faith they follow is a deep curiosity about the ones they don't. Because that's precisely when you go, wow, I guess I'm so committed that I'm not intimidated by the reality of other experiences and I'll go further by the truths that can be found in those other experiences, even when they don't accord with my own. And I want to be clear, they don't all accord. I think that actually the God in whom I believe is infinite and I'm finite. There's only so much divine blessing that can be gifted to me or to my tradition. And so I thank God every day for a generosity which pours divine wisdom into other traditions as well. And not because they all accord. If they all accord, we could get by with one. So I, I invite people who are faithful to do two things. Fall in love with their faith because it is from an infinite source. And then try and remember that any of our faiths, including the one that fills me up 100%, is an eight ounce cup filling from an infinite spring. And that means that my cup literally overflows, to use the Psalms. But the fact that my eight ounce cup overflows doesn't mean it's the only eight ounces of divine blessing in the world. What matters most as the lights go out and I swim towards the coast. Love of Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson, and we're back with part one of two, the last two episodes of this particular season. But don't worry, um, I've already got quite a few episodes recorded for the next season, season 11, which will launch uh, in early fall. I uh, just need some time to to get some of the series together I'm working on. I have some, some crazy ideas that I think are finally coming to fruition, and I'm very, very excited to release those in the fall. Um, going to definitely dive into other religions and, um, you know, just, just learn about some different, uh, faith traditions. So I think that'll be a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to releasing it to you guys. So, uh, before we get there though, uh, struck up a really cool friendship with this next guest. It's Rabbi Brad Hirschfield, and, uh, he's been listed for many years in Newsweek as one of America's 50 most influential rabbis and recognized as one of our nation's leading preachers and teachers by beliefnet.com, Fox News regular contributor, Washington Post blogger, and think tank president. Uh, is He's the author of You Don't Have to Be Wrong for Me to Be Right, Finding Faith Without Fanaticism. That came out in 2008. 
he also conceived and hosted two groundbreaking series for Bridges TV, American, American Muslim TV Network, Building Bridges, Abrahamic Perspectives on the World Today, uh, three seasons, and American Pilgrimage. He is also the co-founder and executive editor of The Wisdom Daily. Um, he's absolutely fantastic. He's been on all sorts of different uh, TV uh, channels, CNN, PBS, MTV, and NPR even. Uh, he's been a regular guest on all sorts of different shows. So um, if you don't know him, you're about to know him. Uh, absolutely fascinating conversation. Had a lot of fun. And this will be uh, the first of uh, many times that we will have him back on the podcast. I can assure you that. Uh, so before we get to the episode, uh, as always, all things Deconstructionist, if you go to the website, www.thedeconstructionist.com, there you can read uh, any of the blog posts uh, that I've written. Uh, we've got some guest blog uh, authors on there as well. If you go back a little further, uh, also link to us on social media. Um, you can listen to our entire back catalog of episodes. If you want some swag, uh, we've got pint glasses, coffee mugs, t-shirts, all sorts of fun stuff available on there. Um, and if you want to support us on Patreon, uh, help cover some of the costs associated with running a podcast, greatly appreciated. We got some cool packages on there. You can link to our Patreon through our website. Uh, also, uh, want to thank the, uh, sponsor for this week's episode, hellofresh.com. Um, I, I know a lot of hosts probably say this, but I absolutely a hundred percent, uh, was a customer before they became a sponsor of the podcast. Uh, I looked into it just cause I had some friends that tried it and I really love the service. Um, I've been using it for a while just because it makes my life easier. I'm a single parent and uh, trying to eat healthier. And so, um, and just trying to learn some new recipes too. Like I, I, I consider myself a decent cook, uh, better baker, but a decent cook. Um, but, you know, I've got those like five to six recipes that I'm like pretty, pretty good at, but wanted to expand beyond that. And, um, you know, you can select recipes based off of, um, you know, uh, foods that you like, uh, speed at which you can prep the meal, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, if you want to go healthier, you can go healthier, but they supply all the ingredients in a box along with the protein. They've got vegetarian options, obviously too. Um, just makes it super easy and it's fun because my daughter and I like to go through the options cause you can pick your, uh, your meals and we pick the ones that we like and they arrive the same time every week. And we we make them, and they're delicious. So, big fan. Go out and support them. You get a discount code. Um, and, yeah. So, hopefully, you wrote that down when we listen to the commercial. Because I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But, anyway. Let's get to the episode. Uh, I cannot wait. I think you guys are going to love this one. Uh, without further ado, I give you Rabbi Brad Hirschfield. Because I am All right. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have on Rabbi Brad Hirschfield. Thank you so much for spending some time with me Oh my today. gosh, it's a total honor and a total privilege and a joy. So thank you. Well, it's it's been a while since uh, since we've had uh, a representative from the Jewish faith on. And um, I thought uh, the prior episodes that we've done, I think I alluded to the fact that we, years ago, I had interviewed uh, uh, Rabbi David Wolpe and Rabbi Art Green and and uh, people seem to just love that series and, and 
just from the sense that I think a lot of us grew up in Christian households and um, not great at teaching about other faith traditions. And so we find ourselves uh, fairly ignorant, I would say, of um, other traditions. And I would argue uh, in my in my little bit of education I've gotten through, uh, I took a grad school course that kind of dabbled in, in world religions that there's a lot of beauty to be found in other traditions that I think we just need to open ourselves up to. So I appreciate you coming on and, and talking a little bit about, uh, Oh my faith. God, it's, it really is a pleasure. You have me in very good company, uh, with both David and Art. So I hope I can, you know, keep up their high standard. I will say before you get too apologetic or feel bad, the because I don't disagree. I think that what Christians don't know about Jewish is actually a lot, but there's a bigger category, and that's what Jews don't understand about Christianity. And what I think it really points to is that, tragically, the more deeply committed any group is to a particular tradition, the less they tend to know about other traditions. And that's really a tragedy because for me, I would want the more deeply committed you are to whatever tradition you practice, that that would make you more interested in other traditions. And not because I think they're really all alike deep down. I don't. Not because I think it's because if you are faith interested, think about the weird process of education that would say the way you demonstrate your fealty or your faithfulness to your tradition is by knowing less about others, as opposed to the greatest demonstration people can have of the faith they follow is a deep curiosity about the ones they don't, because that's precisely when you go, wow, I guess I'm so committed that I'm not intimidated by the reality of other experiences, and I'll go further by the truths that can be found in those other experiences, even when they don't accord with my own. And I want to be clear, they don't all accord. I think that actually the God in whom I believe is infinite and I'm finite. There's only so much divine blessing that can be gifted to me or to my tradition. And so I thank God every day for a generosity which pours divine wisdom into other traditions as well. And not because they all accord. If they all accord, we could get by with one. So I, I invite <laughs> people who are faithful to do two things. Fall in love with their faith because it is from an infinite source. And then try and remember that any of our faiths, including the one that fills me up 100%, is an eight-ounce cup filling from an infinite spring. And that means that mm. my cup literally overflows, to use the Psalms. But the fact that my eight-ounce cup overflows doesn't mean it's the only eight ounces of divine blessing in the world. Wow. Okay, then I guess the podcast is over. That I mean, pretty much sums it up there. <laughs> like, oh, man. Okay. All right. We do have more questions. Okay. So, um so one of the things I thought was really interesting that you that you uh, you mentioned another I heard your interview on the uh, Jew Curious podcast, which by the way is fantastic. Um, and you, you talk about uh, at one point in your life you would have taken the approach of God says it and that settles it, which is very similar to the, to the issue that we deal with in uh, in American Christianity, which is you know the Bible says it, yeah. so that settles it. 
So talk about that and, and why that becomes problematic when you realize that not everyone agrees when it comes to what God said or what the Bible says, or else there wouldn't be you right. know, all these different variations. Right. So actually, my concern about that, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, which definitely was a very rich and serious part of my faith a long, long time ago, but still it was part of the arc from being raised passionately Jewish, but mostly secular, to embracing that kind of what I'll call absolutist faith, to then retaining deep faith and traditional practice, but in a less absolutist way. But my issue isn't so much that, you know, the issue of trying to embrace diversity, because in some things we will differ, in some things we won't, in some places we'll align. It's the approach that God said it, I believe it, that settles it, strips out humility from religious faith and posture. And it seems to me that the embrace of our own finitude and the humility that generates is actually a critically important way of expressing that we believe there is something bigger than us. Forget whether you call it God, don't call it God. We can talk about all the names people use. But in the end, our faith becomes nothing less than an idolatry. If we take an infinite thing and compress it into a finite thing. And so I'm perfectly okay with someone saying, I believe God said X. I'm not not really perfectly fine with what I'm about to say, but I'll, I'll explain that I'm, I appreciate that there are gifts to be found, this I do believe, in a faith which, which expresses itself as God said this, I believe it, and that settles it for me. I don't think it's the best way to go, and we can talk about why, but with the addition of the words for me, I've left room for you. And I think that for a lot of people is good enough. It's not good enough for me, and I don't think it's the best way to be in the world, but given the amount of pain that is caused in the name of faith, and no, that's not a slam on religion, we can talk about this too, because the only thing that's done more damage in the history of humanity than belief in God is people who didn't believe in God. So it's sort of a wash. So it turns out that hard-edged absolutist faith and hard-edged absolutist atheism are running neck and neck for the damage they do. But if you're willing to add the words for me to however hard-edged your faith statements may be, at least you've left room for the reality of the experience of the person across from you. And the truth is, that's often good enough because it respects the dignity of the other person, even if you have basically no curiosity about it. I wish people would cultivate more curiosity, but if you could at least leave room for the dignity of that other person who you think is nuts, that would be a big step in our world. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. America. 
We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. <laughs> I think, um, I, well put, first of all, but um, you have this great example that you've given um, in just your own personal life where your own mother um, kind of made space for you. And and I'll let you tell the story, but it's it has to do with um, pots yeah, and pans. Yeah, it does. That... And again, I, I'll reference a little bit that I grew up in this home that was very passionately Jewish. I was sent to Jewish schools from a young age. My parents wanted someone who knew Hebrew and was literate in his, fa- in, in his larger familial story. But like synagogue was something we stayed away from religiously, right? <laughs> My favorite food growing up was shrimp cocktail, not at all kosher, right? Very Jewish, but not, you know, not in that classically religious way. And for a variety of reasons, when I was about 11 or so, I started to get more interested in traditional practice. And I was studying it in school. It was something they taught, but it was a very open-minded school. So things were taught, but in school, you had to more or less keep kosher. But no one was like saying, you're a bad Jew if you don't do X, Y, Z. And... But I started to like get into it, and I started reading, and I was a strange little kid, because what kind of kid 11 or 12 years old starts to think about this stuff? But I did. Uh, I should say I also began to be really intensely interested in the New Testament and the Jesus story, which we can talk about around the same age. I was interested in how faith was moving in my life and in the world. And at some point, I decided that um, I wanted to keep culture. And I went to my mother... And you have to go back multiple generations in my family to find a Jew who kept kosher. I mean, this was just not some, you know, some, some Jewish people talk about going to their grandparents for like, you know, gefilte fish and matzo ball soup. We went to my grandmother's for bacon and eggs. Right? So it was just, by the way, she knew she was Jewish. It was just not, you know. So in any event, yeah. I come in one day and I knock on my parents' bedroom door. And my mother says, come in. And I'm, I really, I was about 12. And I said, Ma, I, um, I have a question. She goes, okay, what? What's up? I said, well, I, I need you to buy me a couple of pots and pans and a couple of plates and some knives and forks. And she goes, for what? Because <laughs> no idea. I mean, you, I, if I had said I'm becoming Martian, it would have been about the same thing. <laughs> And I said, well, I've decided that I, keep, I want to keep kosher, and so I can't use any of the utensils in the house, and I'm going to need my own pots and pans and plates and knives and forks, and I'm happy to be vegetarian, but if you want me to eat meat, you've got to find a kosher butcher and buy the meat from there. I decided not to go into all the Passover rules, because those are even crazier. And um, she said, let me get this straight. You want me to buy you two pots, two pans, two plates, two knives, two forks, and if I want you to eat chicken, I've got to find a kosher butcher. I said, yeah. She goes, no, I won't do that. And I'm like, <laughs> what? That, how can that be? You send me to a school where they teach this stuff. I'm just being a good boy and listening in class. I want to do it. What do you mean you won't do that? She goes, slow down. What I won't do is buy you two pots, two pans, two knives, two forks. 
if you will wait until this summer when you go off to camp, even though I have no idea what this means, I will call our rabbi, because we did belong to a synagogue. It was more of a citizenship thing than a spirituality thing. I will call the rabbi, and even though I really don't know what I'm getting myself or this family into, I will make the whole house kosher. And I'm like, you will? Why? And without missing a beat, my mother said, because in your own home, you don't eat off of separate dishes. She said, but, my now kosher eating son, I have one more rule for you. And I'm like, what? She said, I don't know what it means or how you're going to do it, but you're not going to stop going out for dinner with the rest of your family. And it was brilliant. And I spent my teenage years until I moved to Israel at 17 eating lettuce and tomatoes in some of the finest non-kosher restaurants all over the country because my parents loved to go out to eat. And it was a brilliant <laughs> moment. And by the way, it was purely intuitive. She has no theological training. She dropped out of college after nine weeks at the University of Chicago. I mean, this was pure love and parental institution. And she understood in one fell swoop not to let me use my newfound faith to separate from the family. So I was going to be at the table with them and treated normally. And not to use my newfound faith as some kind of club to beat them up with and say, oh, I can't be with you because you're not Jewish enough or holy enough or good enough. And so it turns out, and that's what I think we often forget, it wasn't about what do I believe and therefore it has to exclude you or what do you believe and that becomes an excuse for self-exile. It's, I am going to do something for you that frankly I think is nuts. Because my mother was very committed, proud Jew. She just thought shrimp and bacon were good. And I'm going to give on that, but I'm not giving on it because deep down I know you're right and I feel guilty. I'm going to give on it because the master category we're working with here is loving family. And you, my son, are going to have to work with that master category too, which means you're going out for dinner with us. And yes, you will have a lot less to eat because we're not all going to kosher restaurants. But you, just as we are proving to you that we are all one family, you will live with us as though we're all one family. And it was, in, in many ways, those stories and some other stories I could tell you about my dad, actually, even though I had no idea, positioned me perfectly for what ended up becoming my life's work. <laughs> that, that is such profound wisdom, it just in terms of, you know, as you're kind of alluding to, setting you up for the work that you do with Interfaith dialogue and how how do we um how do we respect the tradition in which we you know we are and and believe in and and yet leave space to still include be inclusive of others and still you know again keep it you know sit at one table eat right. together as one family as it were um that's just absolutely beautiful look i think the key to that even though you didn't directly ask it is that you don't do these things for strategic purposes or tactical purposes you do these things because deep down you appreciate there are truths to be found not only in the way you choose to lead your life but even in the ways you don't choose to lead your life 
And I would say that's true for me, even in the ways that I no longer Jew, if one can use that as a verb. And we can, I think that's actually very important. I think if Jew were not a noun and not even an ad, Jewish as an adjective, but Jewing was a verb, it would actually be like faithing or Christianing or Musliming. It could be really interesting. There are gifts to be found in how I Jewed is a Sabbath-violating, pork-eating little kid that I don't have in my life anymore as an Orthodox rabbi. And there are gifts to be found in my hard-edged, I will say fanatical faith at 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, living as a settler in the city of Hebron because I opened up Genesis and Abraham bought the cave of Machpelah, the first place an Israelite buys land in the Holy Land, that's ours. And if I'm one of 60 Jews among 60,000 Palestinians, so what? i meant to be there. By the way, I have no interest in going back there. Haven't for a long time. <laughs> but I would be lying if I didn't say there were gifts in that way of Jewing also. I don't think they're worth it. But I don't have to preclude their gifts. And I think that's what allows us to feel deeply proud and passionately committed to what we believe without needing to think everything we aren't is inherently wrong. Look, the example I always give is I'm married for, wow, 36 years. And is that right? No, 34 years. Um, (laughs) And... I know this, if I woke up every morning and said, honey, the reason we're together is not because you're so beautiful and smart and compassionate and faith-filled and caring and devoted and wise. The reason we're together is because every other woman is so stupid, ugly, and mean. (laughs) I know I wouldn't be married. Right. Right. But that's what we've done with our faith commitments. It's that we're afraid to say, I'm in this because I'm in love with this. And this is where I feel God calling to me. Instead, I think we end up trapped in these things, and I'm in this because the other stuff is so terrible. And that's a bad reason to be in any relationship, whether it's with a life partner or with God. Deconstructed these walls and I found a
Love. 